0: Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beachler at Beachler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beachler on PeoriaLife.com. Hey, good morning, Central Illinois. This is the Car Guy. Thanks for joining us. My name is Greg McCoy. and I'm your co-host uh, with the hero of the show, Brett Beachler. How are you doing, Brett?
1: Good morning, Greg. I'm not certain about the hero of the show, but I'm just passing on my wisdom I've gained over the years. Which is considerable. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, I thought today, given the weather outside, we would uh, ask a bunch of questions around the theme of cold weather and cars. Unfortunately, it was 6 degrees when I woke up this morning. Yes, sir. And it's still about 6 or 7 degrees. So, And uh, there are a lot of issues that come up with cars and cold weather, so I thought we'd uh, just kind of jump right into it. So sure. one of the things that people always wonder about with, with respect to cars and cold weather is warming up your car. And some people think it's best to go out and turn the car on and let it run five, ten minutes before you take off, mm-hmm. And that if you just take right off when it's cold, you're going to do some damage. What's your thoughts on that?
1: That is... Um completely untrue. Actually, I, I see a lot of people warming their cars up for for the length of period of 15 to 30 minutes. Um, you actually use a little bit more fuel doing it that way. Um, it doesn't bring the engine up to temperature like you want it to. Um, it's, it's not that it's hard on the engine, but it doesn't. Um, there's some chemical issues that happen uh, when a car is underway and under load um, that it is much better to burn off those particulates Uh, driving the vehicle than letting it sit there for 30 minutes and idle. Um, So it's best for your wallet long-term to start the car up. uh, Within a minute or two, leave. I know everybody loves the remote starts. They love going out and warming their cars up. Um, I have people in my family that rather enjoy having a warm car to get into, and I'm not completely against it. Uh, But at the same time, it's better for you long-term for that car to warm up as it's under load and driving. Rather than letting it sit there, run and run and run. Correct. Rather
0: than let it sit there and run and idle for many minutes at a time. Which reminds me of a related question. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will will drive someplace, stop, get out the car, go and talk to somebody in the house or something for a little while, Mm -hmm. 15, 20 minutes, and let the car run that whole time, Mm -hmm. particularly in cold weather. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes people do it because of the cold weather. Sometimes they do it just because of convenience. Mm How much fuel does that waste if a car is sitting there running for 15 minutes, not doing anything? Well, it used to be in the olden days, the formula,
1: um, There's I, I don't know the exact formula, but I know when cars were carbureted, which they are now fuel-injected, and the fuel is much better managed, um, it, was, it was better for you to let it idle back then because the carburetors would put a lot of fuel into the cylinders when you started it. Um, so... Uh, You know, that's reversed a little bit now, Um, but even a a car at idle is pretty efficient running, but you're still using the fuel, period. Um, It's still, those cylinders are still pumping at 800 RPMs a minute, which is revolutions per minute, and they're still requiring fuel for that engine to run. So, yes, you are using more fuel, letting it idle for 15 minutes than you are to turn it off and then turn it back on.
0: As you kind of refer to there there used to be a, a rule of thumb that if you if you thought you were gonna let it sit for thirty seconds versus thirty mm-hmm. minutes, sometimes it's better to let it run versus yes. turn off, turn on. Is there a kind of a cutoff there, thirty seconds, minute? Uh that I don't know the magic time um because we don't
1: necessarily have to deal with carburetors anymore. I can't remember the last time I saw a carburetor. Actually we have one in our shop right now. It's an old seventy two Monte Carlo. Um but it's carbureted, but very few cars anymore that we see are carbureted. So um you know, it just doesn't take as much fuel to start cars up. It still takes more fuel than normal, um, uh, in terms of opposed to let, let it sit in there and idle. But the rule of thumb is just go ahead and turn it off. I mean, unless you don't mind paying for the fuel. I know we're slightly deceived right now because the fuel is at a buck fifty-four, a buck fifty-nine a gallon, uh, historically low prices. But um, it likely will come back because of the game they're playing in the
0: out east with the fuel, but that's a whole nother radio radio segment. <laughs> Is there any difference in the answer to that question from diesel to gas? Um, in terms
1: of, like, allowing the vehicle to warm up?
0: Yeah. Um, you just run, you go through the starting
1: procedures as normal with diesel and fuel, or, you know, gasoline. Um, there's not a big difference. But diesels don't mind the idling nearly as
0: much as gasoline engines do. For example, you go into truck stops. Mm-hmm. Very commonly, you see guys that have stopped at the truck stop, they're eating, taking a shower, whatever, mm-hmm. hour, two hours, three hours, and they let the truck idle. Or school buses, I've noticed that when we go to events. Sometimes uh, a basketball game, the, the visiting team's bus will sit there and idle for three hours. Mm-hmm. Somebody
1: else <laughs> is paying for the fuel. That's part of the, <laughs> That's the, <a> good point. <laughs> the whole part of the component on that is it's not my money, so let it let them sit there and idle. You know, and then they get the flip side of it is, oh, gosh, what if the vehicle didn't start? I mean, what would you do if your vehicle didn't start? You'd have, you know, procedures you'd go through to get it started, whether it be call the tow company or whether you'd have jumper cables or a jumper pack inside your trunk. Um, I just don't buy into that, you know, what if the vehicle didn't start aspect. And I know police and firemen use that, and I think it's necessary in those situations, but to see our taxpayer money go out the door like that, but that's... We digress, don't we? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, back to the question of warm-up. What about block heaters? Is that a way to perhaps get around? Oh, yeah. It's
1: a, it's a definitely a formidable item. I'm not sure if it's worth the cost-benefit. Um, I don't know exactly the expense of each car that you know goes into installing a block heater. Um, I know I go up north, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, and it's much more often that I see block heaters in cars up there. Um, cars come up to temperature that much quicker uh, because of it. So um, is it worth it? You know, it it might be to some people. Um, You know, if they want to spend a couple hundred bucks installing the block heater, that's my guesstimate in terms of how much it might be. And you keep your car plugged in, you come out, unplug it, start it, and you're, you know, warm in a matter of a few minutes, then it might be very well worth it. But engines come up to temperature pretty quickly around here um, because we don't see the sub-zero temperatures they see
0: up north. Um, So that's one of the big proponents of why they do it. So, And what about, kind of related to the same question, what about if you don't have a garage or you don't keep your car in a garage? Obviously, keeping a garage in a garage, especially if it's an attached garage, mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit warmer. But what happens if you store your car outside? Is it any difference in terms of?
1: Um, it's no different because, you know, one of the aspects of it is people go, well, the car's, you know, in windchill. And cars don't have a clue about windchill. The only thing windchill affects is our skin. Um, It does not affect the cars. The only thing wind affects is how quickly the heat can dissipate from the car. But it doesn't mean, you know, if it's 10 degrees out and it's 20 below windchill that the car's engine block thinks it's 20 below. It doesn't think that. All it is concerned about is ambient temperature. Um, So sitting outside, yeah, you're probably going to have a little rougher time. I know I've, part of my life, I've had cars parked outside and it's not fun scraping snow and things of that nature, but, you know, cars will last longer if they stay inside. I mean, it's no different than you and me and um, staying out in the elements. Um, cars are the same way. They, they like to be stored on the inside. You know, it keeps them out of the sun. Uh, sun's the biggest, um, uh, you know, enemy of the car because of the sun UV rays onto the car. You know, it's hard on wipers. It's hard on the vinyl interior, you know, whatever the interiors of the car, if the sun makes it through the windows. Um, sun's really hard on cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can, I mean, they have better protectants on the paint anymore, but if you can, I, I would always advocate keep it under cover or in a garage, clean your garage out, whatever you have to do to get the car in there. It's it's an investment, and you might as well make it last as long as you possibly can.
0: That's interesting. Now, we don't have this problem, but if you lived in Phoenix, mm-hmm. <laughs> would that be an issue there? Because no. I, there, a lot of people in Phoenix don't have garages. They don't. Because they say, I don't need a garage. What do I need a garage for? Yeah, you don't have snow and
1: rain, but you know snow and rain is not the big enemy it's the sun Hmm. and it's 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 harder on cars that's why you see a lot of people out in phoenix i have friends out in phoenix that will cover their dashboards and their their um uh, steering wheels because of the tremendous sun and heat that go through that front windshield and most of the windows are tinted out there so it
0: helps with that aspect but the front area of the car a lot of people cover up their dashboards yeah, my brother used to live in Phoenix, and uh, he said that in the hot summer time, when you went out someplace to a shopping mall or whatever, mm-hmm. you did not want to leave anything that would melt. No. In the dashboard. No, no. Even here, I mean, it can it can get pretty warm here too. So, um, but you know,
1: it is what it is. But if you can keep it in a garage or under a, a carport, um, that's the biggest the biggest aspect of cars and making them last a long time.
0: Okay, what about longer-term storage, like if you're a snowbird? A lot of people who are retired mm-hmm. take off for a couple months, January, February, mm-hmm. leave their car, sit here. Mm-hmm. What, what well, do they need to do? I
1: I advocate, um, I advocate if you can, if your car is going to sit for more than 30 days, uh, put it on a what they call a trickler, a battery trickler, trickle charger, excuse me. Um, it helps preserve the batteries because what happens is batteries do not like to be discharged and then recharged. It shortens the life of batteries. So if you can either, A, disconnect the battery, or B, uh, uh, install a trickle charger on your battery to maintain that charge, it will make that battery last so much longer throughout its life. Um, But that's the biggest aspect. A good customer friend of mine actually goes to Phoenix every year, and every fall, late fall, he has me come over and connect his trickle charger and disconnect his battery. Every year, um, I don't do this for everybody. He's a good friend of mine, and he's an older gentleman. And he and his wife you, um, you're not advertising this as a service I, of eachler's. I'm not advertising this as a service, um, but I think most people can do this. And he just he he always claims that he's got doesn't have you know right in the left hand, and they don't work together, and he doesn't know a thing about cars. So I just help him out. Um, but it. it it's a huge, you know, I know years he's gone down there and not done it and he comes back and his car doesn't start and he's got to go through the whole rigmarole of either charging his battery, getting it towed, having a jump started, you know, it's, it's a big pain. And, and then it's, the other aspect, it's, it's hard on the battery to discharge like that over time. And both of his cars are cars that have electronics that are going to drain the battery down if you let them sit for a long period of time. That's all there is to it. A lot of the new cars are like that.
0: Longer period of time meaning? More than 30
1: days. Yeah, the the rule of thumb we always tell folks is more than 30 days. Because so we have a lot of customers from, for example, from Bueller Home that um, their vehicles sit for a long period of time. We always say, hey, you know, if they're going to sit, you know, either have a jump pack in your trunk or um, let's disconnect the battery. But they all they all comply pretty well.
0: Speaking of that, when a when car has sat for a little while and then you go out and drive it, just drive it to the grocery store and back mm-hmm. a mile, how long does it take for... The driving process to charge that battery back up. Oh boy, that's a that's
1: a. I mean, it depends question. how far it's... the battery's gone down, exactly. obviously. But it's a multi-dimensional question. Um, ideally, you want to get in the car and run it for a longer period of time. In terms of running it, I say drive it for a longer period of time. Um, you know, generally, cars don't like to go a half mile, a mile. They like to come up to temperature. Um, I always say people that drive three to five miles into town have longer lasting exhaust systems. Um, it's easier on the oil when you do that, when you start and stop, uh, what I say mean by this is starting an engine and turning it off. It doesn't get those, um, it's really hard to explain from a lay standpoint. Um, but the, the, the burn off chemicals in the, in the exhaust system and the oils and things like that, it doesn't burn those off like you want them to, um, to make that engine more healthy, I guess is probably the aspect I want to look at. Um, so if you can, I, w- I would advocate not getting in your car and, you know, driving it a mile and shutting it off constantly all the time because that will shorten your your oil life um, between oil changes. Um, Sounds
0: like it will shorten the life on a lot of things.
1: It will. It will it'll shorten the life on a lot of things. It's just a little harder on vehicles to start and stop like that. It's it's kind of like you and I going out in the street and running a 100-yard dash without warming up and then shutting down and going somewhere. It just we do, We just operate a little more efficiently when we consistently run, you know, a mile or two or three miles or whatever the case may be. So, um, but I always advocate that, but it's not always possible. It's, I mean, life happens and not everybody can do that. I know I live five blocks from work and my wife and I both have cars and guess what I do? It's harder on my car to start it and drive to work. Generally speaking, I walk to work through all conditions. Um, but I I want to make my cars last as long as I can because I don't want it to be a major investment on myself. So I have other places to put my money, so. (laughs) Uh,
0: Another uh, topic that always comes up when it comes to fuel and cold and so forth is fuel line freezes. Now, Mm -hmm. it always used to be that, at least we were told when I was growing up, we were told always keep at least a half a tank of gas in the car at all times in the cold weather. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, your gas line will freeze.
1: Um, That used to be the case um, way back when. How many years ago was that, Greg? (laughs) That was back around the Civil (laughs) War. (laughs) Uh, I don't
0: think they had cars back then,
1: but, um, (laughs) anyway, um, but nowadays you just don't see the water content and fuel like you used to, because it used to be a standard deal. I would imagine if you can recall this, you would put the additive called heat in your fuel. Um, I, I very rarely see people put heat in their fuel. We have it just from a standpoint of demand that people want it, but it's not necessary. Any good fuel out there has a type of heat additive that, d- that dispels and gets rid of the, the water content inside the fuel. So, I honestly, I cannot tell you the last time we ever had water in fuel lines at all, and we had to do a correction or a repair on a vehicle because of that. It's been years because of that. So, with that said, that's the, the reason for keeping fuel inside of your tank is not because of fuel line and fuel line freezing, it is you want to keep you want to keep a quarter tank in the in the fuel tank. It is to keep your fuel pump, which is an electronic component inside the fuel tank. Uh, you want to keep that cool with the fuel that's in there. When you run it below a quarter quarter of a tank and down to an eighth of a tank or near empty all the time, that fuel pump may not last as long because it doesn't have the cooling effect of the fuel surrounding it. If that makes sense. Um, so that's the 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 main reason behind leaving. A quarter tank or more inside your fuel tank, especially in the wintertime. I mean, you could say it all the seasons because summertime is just as important to keep that quarter tank in there because of the, the cooling effect on the fuel pump.
0: So when you're taking a long trip where you're going to go through several tanks of gas, mm-hmm. you want to stop for gas before you, or when you get down to that uh, quarter tank level?
1: You know, I can't preach to the choir on this one because I run it as far as I can. I, I take it down to the eighth tank, the fuel light comes on, I know where my stops are when I go on certain trips, and, um, you know, it's, it's when you consistently keep below a quarter of a tank inside the fuel tank is when it can be hard on fuel pumps and the, the cooling effect it has on fuel pumps. You know, if you do it one out of every 10 times or, you know, you take a trip and you run it down to the fumes every time you get fuel, um, that's one thing. But if you're doing it consistently all the time, I think that's, that's I believe that's a different aspect of it. So
0: So the negative effect is more of a cumulative thing correct probably as opposed to exactly okay thank you (laughs) (laughs) well another very important thing to keep in mind with respect to winter operation is the heater operation the car heater that, Mm -hmm. that puts heated air into the cabin um are there some specific pointers to keeping your heater running well are there common causes of it not operating well
1: yeah that's a that's a good question um you know, one of the things that we advocate in terms of what you should do on your car is keeping the coolant flush based upon what the engineers of your vehicle tell you. Um, and this is placed inside the owner's manual, which I know I'm guilty of not opening my owner's manual too, um, but it's a guideline to help you keep that car as long as you can, uh, preserve the components. So let's just um, focus on the cooling system right now. So what happens is if you take that coolant, and you run it too long, you run it beyond what your owner's manual explains to you to do, um, you increase the chances of losing the anti-corrosion abilities inside of coolant. Okay, So when that happens, um, you get kind of a, this is an improper term because this is a medical term, but you, you, you can get kind of a coagulation effect that occurs with the coolant, and then it can restrict the heater core which is basically, to describe the heater core in a layman's term, is, it's basically a mini radiator inside your dashboard. That's what it is. And air blows across this mini radiator, and it you know turns from you know 70 degrees to 142 degrees, whatever your heater produces, that's where you get your heat. So if the temperature of this is restricted, if the coolant going into this heater core is restricted, uh, you're not going to get the nice hot coolant going through that, and then you're not going to get the nice hot air. So that's one aspect to it. Um, the other aspect to it aspect of coolant is it helps the system maintain a certain protection level. Most cars are set at between thirty five to forty five and what I mean by that is when the ambient temperature gets down to say you've got uh your coolant level has upgraded from thirty five below to ten degrees, okay so what happens is Say our temperatures go down to zero or minus five, you increase the chances of the coolant inside there freezing like water, and cracking your engine block. Which then you get to turn around and buy a four or five or six thousand dollar engine for your car. And most people are not too fond of that unless they have an engine that's on the on the brink of failing. Um, so that's the other aspect of keeping good quality coolant, following the guidelines of your owner's manual in order for you to keep that car two hundred fifty thousand miles plus. I mean, that's that's really what it boils down to. Those are the two main aspects of it. And and believe it or not, straight coolant, if you were to put it inside your your reservoir and your radiator and all your cooling lines, doesn't have the protection that a mix of 50 and 50 has of coolant and water. How can that be? I don't know. I'm not a chemist. I can't explain (laughs) it, but I know the facts behind it. And if you ever have low coolant inside your car, don't add straight water. Don't add straight coolant. You always want to mix it half coolant, half water. Um, to get the ideal temperature protection of the, the antifreeze going into the system. So just a little tip for everybody out there that wants to go open their hood and add coolant if they have low coolant on their vehicle.
0: So, Can the heater core develop leaks? Oh, yes. And if so, what happens then? Do you, oh, yes. do you get gassed? Or? So no, you don't necessarily get
1: gassed, but um, what happens is most heater cores, when they um, develop leaks, they will leak inside the passenger floorboard of the vehicle and then you get this lovely sweet smell inside your car which is this the the aroma of antifreeze and you'll know it pretty quickly if you can smell um they they do develop leaks however it used to be back when i was younger we were replacing heater cores every week um i can't remember the last time we replaced a heater core um because they are so they're built so well anymore you just don't see you do not see the the heater core failure that we used to see back when I was a kid, um, and that was seems like it was yesterday, but it was it was a few years ago. Um, so you just don't replace heater cores like you used to. Um, typically, heater cores are the the, the catch with when you have to do a heater core replacement is just one of two extractions, and the worst one is you re- remove a dashboard. Um, that is a complete day long process, very expensive process. Um, we don't we don't particularly feel good for customers when that does happen, but it does happen once in a while. Uh, but most heater cores are extracted through another means to get to them, so um, it's not quite as bad. But we I, I've seen them in the last year or two that heater cores fail. So the the whole point behind this is not to scare you into doing coolant flushes, but if you take care of your cooling systems, the probability of you having to replace your heater
0: core decreases. Pure.
1: Mm-hmm. So um,
0: anyway. now the the systems that direct the air—hot air coming out or mm-hmm. cool air in the summertime—the louvers, whatever they are—how mm-hmm. do those work? And, and do those fail? And, and is there anything you need yeah. to do to keep those? There's
1: really nothing you can do
0: as a as a driver of
1: a vehicle, a consumer. Um, you know, some are mechanical, many are mechanical, some are electronic, um, and they're what they're called blend doors. Is what they do is they basically flip the the air direction back and forth, and it's inside the dashboard. Um, there were many years we were replacing these blend doors or blend door actuators. Um, you don't see that too much anymore from a consumer standpoint. It's, there's nothing you can do other than be gentle on the switching of the, of the, the blend door actuator. And and some cars are electronic, so you you can be as hard on them as you want and it's not going to hurt them. Um, but I have seen rammy people get into cars and a little bit older model models and they, they start flipping those things around at a very aggressive rate and Flinders don't like to move like that. So, do
0: you ever um, see mice get up in there and get caught? Or oh yeah, leaves yeah. we and...
1: we, uh, we we extract a lot of uh, a, a lot of dead and some alive um, rodents. Um, it's you know the dead ones are obviously have an interesting aroma to them, but they like the warmth. They they get up there in the wintertime. We see this more when people live on the outskirts of town, but we're starting to see them in you know people that have garages here in the city where mice just want a warm place to. To you know, set up habitation and and away they go. And people start smelling things. They start hearing things that, you know, sometimes they even get into the blower wheel itself, and it starts making noise. And you got to remove nests and things of that nature. So, um, what can a person do to prevent that? Set traps out in their garage. That's whenever we have problems like that with uh, consumers, customers, is we ask them, hey, you got an issue now? You better set a, set a trap. That's not so bad. Where it can get bad is um, rodents can actually chew into for example, the the wiring, the ignition wiring in a car actually has silicone inside the wiring. They love the taste of that silicone, so they'll actually do hundreds of dollars of damage underneath the hood. Um so that's why I say if you ever have a rodent problem, take care of it because it can get real expensive on cars hmm. if they get into it. So and we've I've seen it plenty of times.
0: Never thought about that.
1: Plenty of times. So especially people who live out in the country. I always advocate that and most people who live in the country are pretty acclimated to having rodents crawl
0: around their property (laughs) so what happens when a a cat gets up in the engine then you turn it on (laughs) that can be a mess i've not seen a cat i've seen i've not personally seen a snake but i've had other
1: shop friends of mine um sent me pictures of a snake getting inside of a an engine compartment but um cats usually are gone by the time you start the engine so most of the time but rodents like to go for rides
0: Well, another thing that I've wondered about is, in in terms of driving in the wintertime, what about braking in the ABS system? Does the ABS system help you on snow and ice Mm -hmm. and so forth? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, The ABS system, it stands for an anti-lock brake system. So it doesn't want your brakes to lock up. So each of the four wheels has what they call a wheel speed sensor. And it tells the computer inside the car as to how fast those wheels are going in, in, in perspective to the speed of the car. So if you have one, you know, say the car is going 40 miles an hour and suddenly the right front wheel goes from 40 down to zero, that wheel speed sensor tells the computer, in, in a, you our brains think really fast, but they're not quite this fast, it'll tell that computer to release brake in the right front position. So back in the olden days, you and I both remember this, when they didn't have anti-lock brake systems, you literally would have to back off the brake pedal. Nowadays, if you get into a skidding uh, situation, the, the, you'll actually feel a little shuddering on the brake when you get into a, a braking situation where one, of the, one or more of the wheels locks up. And it's just the brake, analog brake system pushing back, literally physically pushing back the brake pedal so you can release that grip it has on that right front brake position, for example, so that wheel can get moving again. When you get in a skidding situation, the whole purpose behind that is you're out of control. And that's what the manufacturers are trying to build into the vehicle is a vehicle that um, you can control. Um, I, I myself personally would rather control it myself, but anti-lock brakes are here to stay. They're not They're not going away. Um, they're built into every car out there, and it's just mandated by the government.
0: When, when did those come in roughly? Oh,
1: boy. Um, I'm going to guess anti-lock brakes came along 10 to 12 years ago when they first started integrating You had the option of having anti-lock brakes or not.
0: Mid nineties,
1: um, yeah, probably mid
0: late nineties. I'm thinking. So, if you bought um, a car before then, it was built before then. You mm-hmm. may or may not have that. Huh? Correct,
1: correct. Um, so, is it from a theoretical standpoint? I, I think it's a pretty smart system, um, but I'm a I'm a practical consumer, and it just adds another layer of expense to the car. You know, it takes these cars. The average we talked about in one of our radio shows. The average price of a car is now thirty three thousand um, dollars. So far cry from where they used to be of you know $3,500 $4,000 but it is what it is it's it's here to stay you're not going to reverse it all this technology it's in the car and we as consumers just bite the bullet
0: one of the other unfortunate parts of driving in the wintertime is all the salt they use on the car on the on the roads how often should we wash cars is that a big factor with today's paint finishes and so forth
1: Yeah, um, not necessarily the paint. It's more the undercarriage of the vehicle. Um, I have friends of mine that have shops down south where they don't have, meaning down south below the line, you know, down in Georgia, places like that where they don't have salt. And they're amazed at what our technicians have to put up with in terms of when it comes to working on cars, the brake systems, the brake lines underneath. Um, It's very common to have brake lines rust on cars over a certain period of time in their life. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, salt does affect it. Um, it's a corrosive device that gets, you know, makes our street really streets really clean. That's what we demand. We want our streets to be the same way year-round. Um, but there's a price to pay for that um, because it does have a detrimental effect on the body and the frames and the brake lines and the fuel lines of vehicles over time.
0: That means you got to get underneath and wash. Well,
1: I mean, you take it to a good car wash, they have undercarriage cleaning. Um, I know, and I'm not advocating ours, but ours has an undercarriage cleaning. It's a high-pressure wash that goes underneath the car, but, you know, red carpet, all these guys have a, a good undercarriage cleaning of their vehicles. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good idea to do that, but um, we're always going to be dealing with that around here. Unless we were to change our laws, and I know up north where I go, they they sand they put a lot of sand out, and that
0: doesn't have near the corrosive effect on it, so. Well, good. Well, it's happened again. We've used up another interesting half hour talking Mm -hmm. about cars and so forth. So thanks, Brett, for your thoughts. You're very welcome. And uh, thanks, everybody out there listening. And we welcome you to join us next time for The Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. Thanks a lot and have a great day. Thank you. PeoriaLife.com.